again this week. By the way, I've enjoyed taking the month off of August to hear Megan uh, share her heart and Daryl share his. Uh, they're both very gifted communicators. I don't know if you realize how blessed you are as a congregation to have people like that on your team uh, that aren't even full-time people. And they're incredibly gifted and talented. And we're so blessed to have them. Daryl, you guys that were here last week know Daryl crushed it last week. Uh, those stick figures were amazing, Daryl. Uh, Daryl's a huge blessing to us. He knows the Bible. He knows the Word of God. Uh, he's talking about the Sabbath a little bit today that I'm excited to hear. And more than anything else, Daryl, I appreciate not only being a partner with you, but that you're just a good friend and a good brother in Christ. So, guys, give Daryl a hand. I'll be back with you next week. But Daryl's got it this week. He's going to do a great job. Hey, thank you. Um, let's see. Do you know what this is? Oh, yeah, that doesn't belong to you. Okay. Thank you. We're a little, you know, impromptu here because, well, you heard that Megan couldn't make it. And, um, and then I'm Daryl. Of course, Darryl, my name's Daryl Davis. But Daryl was supposed to preach, but he couldn't make it. So this is his brother, Daryl, that's here now today. So I'm just filling in for him. And I hope, I hope I can do a decent job, better than I was expecting. Maybe I'll do better than Daryl did. <laughs> anyway, you know, there's a pattern that uh, we, you might have noticed. That Joe has been preaching on how the word of God is really good for you. That's his whole thrust in Psalm 119. And then Megan, she spent time uh, talking about worship and how worship is really good for you. And then last Sunday, I talked about repentance is good for you. And what I'm going to talk about today is the idea that the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is good for you. So I call it making Sunday special. And, uh, and it, it's because, I th- the reason I feel like I have to talk about this is because Christians don't really think that it is, you know, necessarily good for you. If they know that they need a break, they need rest, but they seem to be unaware of the fact that God has mandated this rest and has your welfare in mind that there are many good things that come your way uh, when you understand that the idea of a day of rest is God's idea. And people forget that there's a deeper purpose to Sunday. That he created this day of rest. And so when I talk about making Sunday special, this is what I want you to remember. Never forget that Sunday has a deeper purpose. I put that on my bulletin outline for those of you who like to fill in the blanks. And what I try to do is underline those blanks for you to fill in if you like to do that kind of thing. It's a way to remember uh, what we are talking about here today. Now, I don't know anybody that is against stop signs. Do you know people are against stop signs? No, people aren't. No, they, everybody knows stop signs are good because if you didn't, you'd have more accidents and people would drive like nuts. So they realize it's a good law. And how, and how many of you always come to a full stop at the stop sign? Only one. Uh, why do I point this out? Well, because, you know, you hear from people. 
Because you hear, you hear people say, they'll, they'll say, you know, well, you know, you can't keep the Sabbath holy. I mean, what, what are you, a legalist? They'll, they'll say things like that. What do you mean, you know, you, you, won't, go, you won't do certain things on the Lord's Day? What are you, a legalist? And, and, and so, what, is that what I'm going to say? Help, you stop at stop signs? What are you, a legalist? Uh, you know there's a good reason for stop signs. Well, I'm here to tell you there's a good reason that God has in mind for us when it comes to observing the Lord's Day. And just like we don't keep stop sign laws perfectly, that doesn't mean we don't believe in that. And that's the way I look at the Lord's Day. I don't have all the answers for how to observe the Lord's Day perfectly. I don't do it perfectly. But that doesn't mean I don't realize there's something there for me that God has in mind. And so that's sort of what I want to do. I want to explore that whole idea today and to see how, how we can make Sunday special. Good laws always have a deeper purpose than just the law. And so it is with this one that God invented. And that's my first point here. It's, it's, it's a reminder that God invented rest. It's his idea. That may be hard to grasp because we tend to think of rest as something that's self-indulgent. Laziness, maybe you think of it as. But that's not God's perspective on the subject. And when it comes to work, how do you think of work? Don't you think of work as like, well, it's frustrating, it's toil, it's hard, you sweat, especially in this weather if you're outside. Um, but there's another side to work. That, that there's creativity, that there's pride in what you do, that there's a feeling of accomplishment. When you solve a problem and, and you see the results and the rewards of that problem, that's, that's satisfaction. Look, look at this uh, passage of scripture here. It, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. So we know how big the universe is, more than they knew back then. It's It's gigantic. And then this is saying, God finished creating all that. And then on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So this, is, this is mind-boggling if you think about it. First of all, we know he doesn't need to rest. I mean, it's not like he gets exhausted. So, and yet here he is. He stops. And, and he stops. And because he stops and rests, that then is the pattern that he has for the creation. That's the pattern that he has in mind. And, and so the work that he did, which was all good, it's not like he needed to rest, but he did. And, and it's, it's the same thing you see with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Before the fall, before sin, they were supposed to rest. This was when work was good. After the fall, you know, they're cursed. God says, well, it's with toil and the sweat of your brow and in pain that you're going to work. And it's going to be frustrating. You're going to get thorns and thistles. You're going to try to grow stuff out of the ground. It's going to be a lot of weeds. And, and, and that's, that's the curse. And, it, and a lot of times you think of work that way, as something that's cursed, as something that you have to do. But 
don't forget, there's the productive side and the good side of it. And even before sin came into the world, there was both work, in the best sense of the word, as well as rest. So there's something holy about this, something that transcends our existence, because God himself is involved in it. We're involved in work and rest because we're created in his image. He made us in his image, and if he does that, then we do that. And notice, too, this isn't just something that pops up in the Ten Commandments. This happens before the Ten Commandments. This is part of the structure of reality. That that's the way God made the world to be. People often think that the seven-day week is a, some sort of Jewish idea. It was long before the Jews were around that this existed. And yet you find cultures, well, once in a while they'll try to change these things. Napoleon kicked the idea around of changing all the measurements. You know, that's where we got the metric system. And he tried to do the same thing with the calendar. It didn't work so well. When the Soviets came to power, they experimented with a five-week uh, work week, five-day work week. That didn't work. So then they went to a six-day work week. That didn't work. In 1940, they went back to the seven-day work week. They were very explicit in their reasoning. They wanted to undermine the Jewish Christian idea of a seven-day week. It didn't work. Why? Well, it was created to have a seven-day week in the very beginning, before Jesus, before Christianity, before Judaism. It was the way the world was made. That's, that's a mind-boggling idea, and that's why I want you to remind you, the central idea, never forget that Sunday has a deeper purpose. Did I not have that up there when I read that to you? Thus the heavens and earth. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry about that. What's one of those days? Where's Megan? I don't know. Where's Daryl? He's somewhere else. Central idea. Never forget that Sunday has a deeper purpose. Number two, it's supposed to be a blessing and a delight. You know, people grow up in homes a lot of times where, you know, you're supposed to keep the Lord's Day, and that means no fun, no playing, no recreation, no TV, no this, no that, big long list. Maybe some of you come from a background like that. It's missing the point if you come up with it as, as an approach with a lot of no's and don't do this and don't do that. It's supposed to be a blessing, and it's supposed to be a delight. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he reviewed this idea. In number four, he talks about to keep the Sabbath holy. And he says, you're not supposed to do any work on that day. And then he says a couple other things besides. He says, not only are you not supposed to do any work, but your servants aren't supposed to do any work either. Now you think about that. You're some big shot that can afford a lot of servants. You can't be telling them what to do. You take a break, they take a break. It puts everybody in a kind of a level playing field. Reminds us of who we all are. Tells us a little bit. Reminds us of our identity. In the eyes of God, we're all humans. I, I, 
I often thought, you know, if King David really took that seriously, that meant if he said to his servant, hey, would you go down and get me a sandwich? He could say, no, you go make it yourself. This is my day off. And David would go, yeah, you know, you're right. I need to be humble before God and everyone else. That has implications. The idea that you think you should be waited on by other people on the Lord's Day. Now I realize America is a changing culture and it's very different than it used to be, but at one time that's the way it was. Everything was closed on Sundays. Nobody served anybody else. They all went home. It was a very quiet kind of an experience on Sundays. But there's something more in that 10th commandment than just servants shouldn't work. Guess who else gets a break? The animals. Your animals that do your work for you. The donkeys and the, and the oxen. They have to get a break, too. This is the original animal rights law. <laughs> I mean, isn't this beautiful? I mean, this tells you that God has a view here that is bigger than what we think of. At one time, somebody might have thought that was quaint. But in this day, when we see people abusing each other, abusing animals, we think, no, this is a good law. The day of rest is affirming that it's not all up to us. See, when when God says, I want you to take a day off and rest and not do any work, he's saying, it's not all up to you and all your efforts. And I want you to remind yourself of that every week. Yeah, you could come up with a list of things that you didn't get done and you need to catch up on on Sunday. Typically, mow the lawn, get a start on the laundry, you know. Uh, There's always something that's going to bug you where you can rest and then you go, oh, wait a minute, I, I didn't get this thing done. And so you go do this thing. God wants you to say, hey, cut that out. I want you to rest. And when you rest, you see what happens. You're reminded that this is God's idea, that this is supposed to be a blessing. This is supposed to be a delight. This is supposed to be good for me. And it's a reminder that ultimately God's the one behind this. And he's the one behind my life. He's the one that gives me productivity. He's the one that enables me to be productive. And so for me to take a break and to rest is to acknowledge, yeah, it's not all up to me. I got to work. I got to work. I got to go. I got to go. No, take a break. You're allowed. It's good for you. It's a reminder. And finally, the law has great spiritual benefits. I remember when I was growing up, um, my parents observed Sunday that way. We never did any work. I didn't have to make my bed on Sunday. <laughs> didn't have to do the dishes. But we didn't, I knew that I wasn't going to mow the lawn. I knew I wasn't going to have to paint the house. I knew I wasn't going to have to clean the garage or the cellar or anything like that because it was the Lord's Day. And, and I grew up with you know, looking forward to Sundays because of that. I was free. It was supposed to be a blessing and delight. For me, it was as I grew up as a kid. It's the way I raised my own kids, too. You know, in Isaiah's day, the people were really legalistic about Sunday. 
And when they did observe it, they didn't put their heart in it. They didn't understand what it was about. And God chastises them. He rebukes them. The book of Isaiah in the Old Testament is loaded with references to the Lord's day and keeping the law of the Sabbath and, and, and not disobeying it. And one of the places where it talks about that is in Isaiah 58. And it says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, in other words, from running what after you, you want to run after. That's what that idiom means. Keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking out of words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord. He's talking about something that I never grasped until later in life. And that is found in that center section there where it says, you've got to make it a delight. You have to make the effort to make it a delight. Now, when I read that, it just grabbed me because I realized that's what people do on Christmas. Everybody clears their calendar and they work hard so there's pastries and gifts and it's a special day and they make it a delight. They do it on the 4th of July. They take time off, they get together, they have a picnic, they make it a delight. They do it on Thanksgiving, they do it on their birthdays. People know how to make a day special. Now what God's saying here is do that with the Lord's Day. Make it special. Be intentional. Make the decision to do this. And if you do, you're going to discover things that you didn't know. Don't make it a legalistic burden. Make it a delight. Maybe you know the story of how Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of breaking the Sabbath because he was, you know, going through this field and getting some grain, taking off the heads of the grain and eating that. And, and this is what he says to these Pharisees. This is how he rebukes them. This is what he says to them. He says, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, so the Son of Man, it's a reference to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's making two points there, see? The first point is about our identity and how we're supposed to relate to the Sabbath. We're not slaves of God's law. God's law is there for our benefit, to be a blessing and a delight. And then the second thing that he's talking about there is how he actually is the Lord of the Sabbath. We saw that in Genesis. God is the one who invented it. Here's Jesus saying, yes, I am the Lord of that Sabbath day. Wow. Very profound. Can't say I can wrap my head around all these things, but I know they're there. And I review them and I think about them. I meditate on them. And that's why I said our central idea is that we should never forget that Sunday has a deeper purpose. Now, finally, point number three. The Lord's Day is ultimately about the work of Jesus. You understand there's a relationship between work and rest. Jesus came to work. 
so that he could rest. You saw that at the very beginning. God finished his work, and then he rested. Well, think about Jesus on the cross. What does he say at the end? He says, it is finished. His last words. He finished what he came to do. He finished his work. And now that he's finished his work, he can rest. And not only that, when we are in him, then we ourselves can find rest in him. Because of the work that he did for us. That's this spiritual idea. That's the spiritual connection. Let's take a closer look at this so we can understand it a little better. Here's an example of Jesus working on the Sabbath. It says, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. They're, they're setting him up. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And so the man with the shriveled hand stood up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, let me ask you a question, he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand. And it was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is one of the most startling, jarring passages in the New Testament. To have people react this way to the healing of somebody. But you see, there's bigger issues at stake than just the healing. There's bigger issues at stake than just the work and the Sabbath. See, that's why I'm saying it's ultimately about things that are deeper than just how you're going to act on Sunday. Let's take a look at these two groups that are mentioned here, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Who are they? See, that's crucial to the text. And since we don't live back then, we don't know who they are. Is that the Democrats and the Republicans? Well, not exactly. Let me tell you about the Herodians. The Herodians are the allies of pragmatic Jews who are saying, hey, look, Rome has taken us over. We've got to cooperate with Rome. What's so bad about that? God's not doing any miracles. We don't have any prophets. Israel's at a low ebb. We haven't been on top of things for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. If we're going to get along in this world, we have to cooperate with the Romans. And, and so they represented the secular mindset, the secular power. They, they were saying, you, you know, those dusty Old Testament rules and regulations, they don't apply to us in our day and age. That stuff's all irrelevant. We have, we have to update our views on the world and the way it is. We can't go on with that old dusty stuff from the past. The Pharisees, on the other hand, are saying, you know, we need to make Israel great again. Well, 
they don't mean by war. That was the zealots. The zealots wanted to make Israel great again by war. But the, the Pharisees wanted to do it by reviving Bible study and people's obedience to the Bible. And so they were very meticulous in keeping all the laws that God gave. And they were exemplary in keeping every single tiny law. They were a resistance movement that put the emphasis on the Bible and what the Bible teaches. They were self-disciplined. But these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, never cooperated or talked to each other. Until now. When they both see Jesus as a threat to their status quo. And it all happens around this Sabbath issue. Isn't that interesting? That's how it happens. See, there are basically two approaches to life. You can, you can take life uh, from the point of view of moral conformity. I have to fit in morally with my culture. I have to do what's expected of me. I have to be good. I have to do all the right things. You know, I have to do what my parents tell me and what the society tells me. And then I, I will fit in because I am doing what's morally right. That's one group. The other group says, no, no. Life is about self-discovery and self-fulfillment. I've got to find out who I am. All your rules and laws, they don't fit exactly who I am. I have to find my own way. I have to be my own person. I have to discover my own identity. And this is an approach that you see down through history. It's an approach you see in the Bible. It's an approach that these two are having right here in the scripture. The moralists are saying, hey, we're good people. We're good people, and because we're good people, people should be listening to us. The bad people, they're out. Good people like us, we're in. That's what the moralists are saying. The self-discovery people, they're saying, no, 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 you, you judgmental people, you, we're the good people. We're in because we accept everybody and, they, and everybody can just discover life however they want to. We're the good ones. You're out. We're in. And guess what? Those two groups, they band together against Jesus. Their response to the man with the shriveled hand that's healed. They're not, they're not worshiping God. They're certainly not worshiping Jesus. They're not even happy for the guy. All they can think about is how they're right and everybody else is wrong. And that's the point of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of rest, restoration. He's restoring through rest. He gives us rest from our sin. He gives us rest from trying harder and harder and never making it. He gives us rest from this futile battle to see who's more self-righteous than everybody else. The gospel doesn't say that the good people are in and the bad people are out. The, the gospel doesn't say that the open-minded people are in and the judgmental people are out. The Bible says that the humble people are in and the proud are out. 
And that's my approach to keeping Sunday special. I don't have all the answers. I don't want to introduce legalism. I don't want, you know what legalism is? Legalism is keeping the law without understanding why. Just doing it because. Not understanding why. Not understanding the spiritual significance of it. Somebody's not legalistic just because they obey the law. You're not legalistic just because you stop at a stop sign. But if you go, you didn't come to a full stop, oh, then you might be legalistic. (laughs) Look at this passage. Come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke. It's easy, and my burden is light. Who's really interested in doing good? Is it the Pharisees? Is it the Herodians? You know, these people have shriveled little hearts. God wants to give us hearts that are alive and well and outreaching. To make Sunday special, you have to be intentional. You have to remind yourself of what lies behind this. This is a big subject. It's a holy subject. It's a wonderful subject. It means you're forgiven. You can rest. It means you're adopted into Jesus' family. Never forget that Sunday has a deeper purpose. So, as much as you can, Make Sunday special. Father, we know that we don't have all the answers to how to live our lives in uh, this world, but we want to do well by you. And we want to honor what you make clear to us. We pray that you open our eyes to all the great possibilities that we have in, in being rejuvenated and restored and renewed in Christ and our fellowship too. A day of families getting together, a day of of people meditating on your goodness and resting from their labor, a day that we can look forward to uh, when we worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I found out earlier this week, see, I've known Daryl for a long time, and I know he, his views on the Sabbath, and I always kind of rolled my eyes, oh, gosh. Then I found out on Monday, oh, he's preaching on the Sabbath. I'm going to disagree with him a lot of stuff. I have to fix it the next week. What am I going to do? Just, but honestly, I learned a lot today. That was very good. We're very blessed to have a man like that in our church. And, and the main thing I learned was, honey, I can't do that to-do list today. I'm sorry. Are we allowed to hire someone else to do it? Oh, no, no. We can't do that either. It's not going to get done. Sorry. So um, just want to give you... I love it when the Bible ends up in your favor. That's really cool stuff. <clears throat> Just a couple of things. So next week, uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, I'll be preaching a one-off sermon on the parable of the marriage feast. So it's going to be a really important message. So if you're in town, you're not on vacation, getting me a gift, make sure you're here for that. And then we're going to start back up Psalm 119 the week after that. We have 10 weeks left of that. And so uh, we're going to go through that th- those next 10 weeks, <clears throat> and I'm excited about that. The last thing I'll say is 
Anna, thank you so much for stepping up. When Megan was gone, you did a great job today. And our musicians really were very flexible on the fly, did a good job. I really appreciate you guys doing that as well. And last thing is I appreciate you guys giving us the patience and being with us together today. Uh, it's always good when God's people come together around his word. Let's pray. And then uh, you guys can take off and go swimming somewhere, apparently. So, uh, Dad, we're so thankful for uh, you, that you invented rest. We confess you that far often, at least I know I can confess that I refuse to take advantage of that. In many respects, it shows a lack of faith that you can provide. Uh, Lord, help us to have the gift of faith to know that it's okay to trust you and rest. Thank you for the work of Jesus that paid the price so that we might rest. Be with our church this week as they work, as they play, as they fellowship with one another. I pray that you continue to help us come together as a congregation uh, in our relationships with each other. And may how we interact with you on Monday and Tuesday and all the things we have going on this week, may it all bring a huge, massive smile to your face. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.